Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. This morning's scripture reading will be from John chapter 1, 1 through 14. If you'd like to follow along in your pew Bible, it's page 938. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. May the Lord bless us as we read and obey his word. It's a wonderful day to be with the family of God, and I'm really great. Uh, Grateful to see all of you here today, and I hope you're all doing well. Hopefully, we'll all be doing better for having been here to worship God together today. Uh, Today is the last Sunday of this series that we've been pursuing now for several weeks entitled The Word of God, uh, which is part of our theme in 2023 uh, for Him, where we're thinking every single week on Sunday mornings especially, we're thinking about Jesus, we're thinking about our loyalty to him, our belief in him, our service to him, our relationship with him, which is central to everything in our lives and in eternity. Today I want to talk about the sequence of things as far as God's revelation of truth to us is concerned. Every destination has an origin, and there are a sequence of turns, of uh, directional decisions that you've got to make in between those two. Every great discovery that has been made by humankind uh, has had a sequence of events from origin to destination. People say all the time, a saying that we're all familiar with, that something is the best thing since sliced bread. And uh, they're talking about the fact that when packaged sliced bread became available, just how much that changed people's lives as far as giving time back to busy homemakers and all of that sort of stuff. But the process from our ancient forefathers baking bread on hot stones to sliced bread in a grocery store had a sequence of events that things went through. The process of being God's children lost in sin separated from him because of the fall in Eden. The the process of going to that place of ignorance, that place of lostness, 
to being a people of God assembled in places like this all over the world today with the absolute certain knowledge of who God is, of God's plan for us for now and for eternity, and of how we can be right with him and how we can live lives in service to him and how we can no longer be lost, but we can be found by God and kept by God and blessed by God. Well, it's a process. It's a sequence. And what I'm talking about today is not how we got the Bible in the sense of how the physical thing was originally written and copied and passed down through generations. I can tell you very simply how that happened. Uh, when the words of the Bible were, in fact, delivered by God's oversight to the various writers over the centuries, they wrote them down on scrolls, and they passed them around and copied them, and they spread them among all of the communities of God's people little by little, and they continued to copy them by hand for somewhere around 1,500 years until the, pr the inventing of the printing press, in which case folks started setting the thing to type. And the rest is history, of course. I will say only this in addition to that, that you will hear folks in our world today, you'll read uh, their writings online or however it is that you interact with them, that will say that somewhere along the history of the Bible's transmission from the first century, the time of Christ and the apostles till today, that there are these dark periods of time in which the Bible, you know, was lost to authoritative supervision and somehow people changed some things and they ditched some things and added some things. I just want to tell you that there's no truth to that at all. In fact, if you will do your research, you will realize that there has never been a time in which there has not been abundant witness to the completed text of the Bible. And in fact, we have a trail of manuscript evidence that goes from the printing press all the way back to the close of the first century and beginning of the second, to the lifetimes of those who were baptized by the apostle John himself. And so I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, there ain't no doubt in the world we have the same Bible that was completed nearly 2,000 years ago. We do. The only question is, do you believe that that Bible is the Word of God? The most pertinent question of all of our lives is that one. Do you believe that the Bible is the Word of God? And how did those Bible writers, those apostles and those prophets that wrote the 66 books of the Bible, how did they get that information from God? And that's what I want to talk about today. And as we do so, I hope it's going to magnify what we've been pursuing this whole series long. And that is the integral, inseparable relationship between Jesus our Lord, who is called the living word of God, and the Bible, which we call the written word of God. Our central text in this series has been John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And it begins with this text you see on the screen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we've, we've drawn from this text to our understanding that this Greek word logos, translated Word, that we talked about last week, is a reference to Jesus and His function in the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three separate persons, but inseparably one God or one Godhead or one Godhood or simply deity. Well, each of the persons of the Godhead have certain roles that they have embraced willingly upon themselves. And so the Father is chief in authority. All things come from Him. It is His will that even Son and Spirit follow. So that Jesus, even though He is God in the flesh, God become man, looks to the Father as His God. His God and our God. And so in the person of Jesus, who is God being a man, 
we learn how men and women ought to relate to God. And this is one of the ways, just simply put, that the Word of God, the living Word of God, is the communication of truth to us. How does this all work? Well, let's read together the whole of our text that we focused on each week. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. I'm not going to say a lot about uh, especially the first part of this passage, just a word or two before we get uh, deeper into this subject. But John chapter 1, the beginning of John's gospel, beginning in verse 1, in the beginning, John ties the beginning of his gospel to the beginning of time because they are inseparably connected. Talked about that last week. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This would be John the Baptist. Verse 7, this man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light. He was not the Christ, in other words but was sent to bear witness of that light, verse 9. That was the true light which gives life to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, Jesus was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. In other words, the folks interacting with Jesus during his earthly ministry were never aware, not until his death and burial and resurrection and, and even ascension in most cases. The folks that interacted with Jesus were not aware. They were interacting with their very creator become flesh. They simply were not aware of it. He came to his own, verse 11, and his own did not receive him. In other words, the Jews to which he came first largely rejected him, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In other words, this is a grace thing, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth now the first 14 verses of the gospel according to john are very clear about who jesus is and it is mind-blowing to really meditate on the reality of the nature of jesus god forever having become a man, our King, our Lord, the omniscient one, the omnipresent one, the, the all-powerful all one, omnipotent one, chose to empty himself of a great deal of that, simply to embrace the weaknesses and limitations of human frame in order to demonstrate what it really looks like, what it ought to look like to be a son or a daughter of God. And this passage tells us that not only are those exalted truths realities, but this passage also tells us that it's only through that exalted reality that any of us have the hope of truly being sons and daughters of God. In other words, just because you're born a human descended from Adam, the first of God's sons in creation doesn't mean that God accepts you as his son or as his daughter. Because if you're living in sinful rebellion against Almighty God, you've been disinherited. You're a son or a daughter of disobedience, a son or daughter of wrath, the Scripture uses the term. It's only through embrace of Christ 
the one of a kind, only begotten Son of God, that fallen and sinful men and women are able to be brought into a position where they have the right to become the sons and daughters of God. It is through faith in Jesus that fallen humanity finds a Father in Almighty God again. Now listen, the folks in the world around us that don't know Christ ought to be the sons and daughters of God. By virtue of creation, they are, but they're lost and separated from their family, just as the prodigal son that we read about in Luke 15. They need to be brought home. But the only way that they can be brought home, brothers and sisters, is through faith in Jesus Christ. He is the one who determines who will be accepted as God's sons and God's daughters on Judgment Day. And I hope that you can remember that because it is a vital, a vitally important lesson. But what I want us to do for the next few minutes is I want us to consider the relationship between the living word and the written word. This has been our emphasis in this series. Jesus Christ, our Lord, is the living word of God. The Bible that we have in our laps or on our smart devices or in the back of the pews in front of you, that is the written word of God. And they're two different concepts, but they are absolutely interrelated and inseparable. And I hope you're going to see that this is not simply something that I'm inventing, but that this is, in fact, what the Bible teaches. So we're going to read a series of passages together. I put them all on the screen to make it easy. And I hope that you will try to pay attention and follow along. And let's just kind of see how the Bible deals with the overlap of, uh, of the two concepts of the Word of God. Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the... Armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. We have reference in this passage to Jesus having a number of names, which we know is true. But the central one I'm focusing on, the previous slide I underlined, is that he is known as the Word of God. Jesus is the living Word of God. When we talk about the living Word of God, we're not talking about the printed book somehow mystically being alive. That's not what we mean when we talk about the living Word of God. Now, by virtue of the, the power of the one who works through the Word, the Holy Spirit, there is a sense in which the words on the very page have life in them, or at least that life is ministered to us through them. But when we speak of the living Word of God, we're not talking about some kind of mystic truth about the book. We're talking about the person, about the man, about the God, about the Son of God, Jesus, who is the communication between God and man and who happens to be very, very much alive. Hebrews 4 and verse 12 speaks to this when it says, For the word of God is living and active. Jesus is living and he is sitting on his throne, ruling over the kingdom of God. And he is acting today and every day and all the time. And lest you be afraid of things that are going on in our country and in our world, there are things to be concerned about and things to be alarmed about, but there is nothing for Jesus' people to be afraid of. 
Because Jesus is on the throne. And the things that are happening politically and morally and religiously and spiritually and personally, at every level, the things that are happening in your life are solidly under his control. He's working through them. He knows what he's doing. And he's going to lead them to a place of victory and blessing for his people, period. That's what he does. And so this passage tells us that that Jesus is working in our lives, of course, through the written word. But Jesus, as the living and active Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and spirits of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Jesus knows you inside and out. He knows you right down to the core of your being. He knows every strength. He knows every weakness. He knows every thought that you have ever thought or ever will think. That's how well your Savior knows you. And because that is who he is as the living Word of God, The written word of God that flows from him also wields this kind of power. When you read the Bible, it will dissect you. It will take you apart. It will show you who you really are. You'll become aware of exactly the way that God sees you. And as much as that might be frightening to think about, It is ultimately a blessing because it's only through embracing the reality of who we are in relationship with God that we're brought to our knees before Jesus and are thus through him given the right to become his sons and daughters in good standing. 1 Peter 1 verse 23 again speaks of the living and abiding word of God. We've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. What is the imperishable? It's the resurrected son of God. Through his resurrection, he has conquered death altogether. And he now lives in a state of imperishability. He cannot die. He assaulted the gates of Hades, the realm of death, and he took control of them. When Jesus spoke about the gates of Hades not prevailing against the kingdom of God, what he meant is the gates could not hold him out. And he assaulted them, took them. He owns death. And he's capable of giving life to all who trust in him eternally. And his life cannot be taken away. He's a living and abiding abiding word of God. And because he is that, we have the hope of eternal life that we have. We begin to see a little bit of a transition in passages like Hebrews 11 verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Haven't we seen already in John chapter 1 as well as Colossians chapter 1 in previous lessons that everything was made by Jesus and for Jesus? the purpose of our series this whole year for him this universe was made by jesus for jesus according to the will of the father through the power of the holy spirit you as a part of this universe were made by jesus for jesus jesus thought of you he designed you for him everything about you is not for you everything about you is for jesus he designed you beautifully and wonderfully for him for his service and you will find my brothers and sisters, and those who are wrestling with the idea of becoming our brothers and sisters in Christ, please listen. Please listen. The only path to true fulfillment in your existence is to fill up the measure of what you were created for. And since you were created for serving Jesus, the only way you will ever find lasting happiness and peace and fulfillment and purpose in life is if you will give yourself to Jesus the way that you were designed to be given. In faithful, loving service and obedience to him, that's your purpose in life. And if you've got something else that's a higher priority in your life than that, to whatever degree that is that thing is in your life, it's going to drain you of happiness, of fulfillment, of fulfillment and a sense of purpose, and so on. 
And so the universe was created by the Word of God personally, the living Word of God. But how did he do it? By speaking. That's what Genesis 1 says. So it was the Word of God that spoke the words of God. We'll see that confirmed in just a moment in a different passage. But it was, in fact, the Logos, the pre-incarnate form of Jesus our Lord, the Son of God, who said, let there be light. It was his voice that spoke the universe into existence according to the will of his Father through the agency of the power of the Holy Spirit who Genesis 1 tells us was hovering over the face of the deep. And so all of the Godhead works together in this way, but Jesus is the Word. Revelation 1.9, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. We find in passages like this, not any kind of contradiction, just a separation to say that, that there is in fact words there is a revelation there is a written form a speakable form of the words of god this is of course the bible the bible wasn't completed when john wrote these words because these words were some of the words that were completing the bible but the truth is nevertheless the same we have a bible and it is the testimony of jesus and without the bible we have no testimony of jesus of course first thessalonians 2 13 the apostle paul is thankful for that church in ancient Thessalonica because they had received the word of God which they'd heard from the apostles like Paul and his associates and they'd accepted it not as the word of men but as what it really is the word of God which is at work in those who believed in other words the words that Paul the apostle and his associates were saying that, that would be written down in the form of these letters that are part of our New Testament that is a testimony of the one living word of God Jesus but in this written, communicatable form. In other words, the truth about Jesus is communicated in words about Jesus. And those words, of course, are the Bible. Ephesians 6, 17, the Bible says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so we see in this situation that the, the agency of the Holy Spirit has made the written Word into His weapon. The Holy Spirit works through the written word. He is the one who inspired the written word. And so the written word can be said to be the sword of the Spirit. So if you're going to go out and wage war for the sake of the kingdom of God against the kingdom of Satan, you're going to have to be equipped with words. You're going to have to know the words of God's book. And the better you know them, the better you're going to be able to fight for the sake of the kingdom. And so Acts 18, 11, we see passages like this where we see the apostles staying in certain places and teaching the word of God among them. Does that mean they're teaching Jesus? Yeah, it means exactly that. They're teaching Jesus. How are they teaching Jesus? By using the words that have become the 66 books of our Bible. And so the word of God is living and active. The word of God is written and powerful. Acts 13, 46, again, the word of God can be spoken. Because everything that is in Jesus, everything that is Jesus' nature, the whole mind of Christ has been revealed to us in written form. The Gentiles received the word of God. Does that mean they received Jesus personally? Yes, absolutely. It means that. They received the living word of God. But how did they do it? By means of the spoken word of God that became the written word of God. The testimony of Christ that the apostles gave and the prophets in the first century of our era gave. Now here's really the clincher. This is why there is this dynamic relationship between the true revelation from God to man, which is personal, which is alive, which is Jesus, the Son of God, 
and the Bible which enables us to come to know him and to understand these truths that I'm sharing with you this morning. Jesus, speaking of himself, says, For he whom God has sent, Jesus is the one whom God has sent. Jesus is the messenger, and Jesus is the message. He utters the words of God. This is why Jesus is the Logos. This is why he's the living word, because Jesus exclusively has been given the right to be the primary and the origin of the communication of God's truth to mankind. For he, that's the Father, gives the Spirit to the Son without measure. In other words, Jesus in his earthly ministry had access to the Holy Spirit of God without measure. And because of this, he had direct access to the very thoughts of God the Father, his God and our God. And this is why Jesus, above all, really Jesus only, had the power to tell us the ultimate truth. So we're talking about the sequence of truth. And I want to sort of review and summarize what I've said and hopefully bring this to a point that we can all apply and remember today in our lives. First of all, the, the final analysis of everything we've looked at in this series is this you see there on the top right of your screen. The Bible is the inspired. I'll talk about that word again in just a moment. It is inerrant, which means it has no mistakes. It is authoritative. It means that you must deal with what the Bible says because you will stand and give an account for your relationship to it on Judgment Day. You can choose to reject it and disobey it if you want to, but God's Word is law and it is the truth. And so if you would be a wise person, you need to recognize its authority and submit yourself to it. Make the decision in faith to be one who's going to strive to live in obedience to it. Otherwise, you are an illegitimate son or daughter of God. And so it is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, and it is the sufficient communication from God to humanity. If you know the 66 books of the Bible, at least on a practical level, so that you're familiar with the big picture of the Bible, you understand how it works and how to read it and apply it to your own life, and, and you're growing in your knowledge of it. It, it, it is all sufficient to lead you into everything that God would like to lead you into. And so the sequence of truth. How did the Bible go from being in the mind of God the Father uh, to our laps, our devices, our world, hopefully our minds today. Well, here's number one, step number one. All truth is God's truth. If it's true, it belongs to God. If it's true, it's in God. Whether we're talking about spiritual truth or scientific truth or moral truth or political truth or your truth or my truth or his truth or her truth or their truth or anybody's truth, if it's actually true, it belongs to God. It was revealed by him, it was created by him, it's sustained in him, and it's his. And if it happens to disagree with God's nature, it isn't truth at all. All truth is God's. Everything is in him and made up of him and made by him and for him. Acts 17, 24 through 28. We don't have time to look at all these references, but I just want you to know, if you want to fact check me on these things that I'm saying, Take your little device out and take a picture of that screen. you got about 30 more seconds before it's gone. But I just want you to know what I'm saying. All of these details are details that are taught and substantiated by the written word of God. Father and Son or Word, same person, and Holy Spirit are together the one God. 
But God the Father is God even over the Son and over the Holy Spirit. John 8, John 10, Matthew 26, Luke 22, 1 Corinthians 15. He is ultimate reality. God is ultimate reality and thus ultimate authority. Do you get that? You've got to stop and think about that. God is ultimate reality. That's why he's ultimate authority. He can't help but be authoritative because he's what's real. God is the substance out of which he made everything. You're made out of God. Did you know that? For in him, in him, we live and move and have our very being. As Paul said in that reference in Acts chapter 17. The living and abiding word of God Jesus is the revelation or communication or explanation of God the Father delivered to us in writing by the Holy Spirit. Number two in the sequence of truth. God the Father is the source of everything. And Jesus is, uh, the, the, he's the source of everything Jesus is and knows and does. And Jesus eternally proceeds from the Father as this one-of-a-kind son. And so he submits willingly to the Father. The Holy Spirit proceeds from Father and Son and has received from Christ what he has shared through apostles and prophets so that every written word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit as it is came directly from the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2 verses 9 through 16. With this in mind, I want you to take note of just a, a little bit of the text here in uh, John 14 in which Jesus describes how the apostles, after his ascension to heaven, were going to be guided into the rest of the truth that God wanted to reveal. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, he says to his disciples, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The helper, the Holy Spirit, this is who we're talking about here, whom the Father will send in my name. Notice the word whom, and notice I've separated and underlined he. We're not talking about an it. We're not talking about an impersonal force. We're talking about a person. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, inseparably one God. He will teach you all things. This is Jesus' promise to the apostles. Are you listening? He will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is Jesus' promise to those who wrote the Bible. That the Holy Spirit would teach them everything that was relevant to life and godliness. And that he would give them a perfect remembrance of Jesus' teachings. John 16. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. In other words, there's more stuff about Christianity that Jesus wanted to share. But folks weren't able to receive it during his earthly ministry. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, Acts chapter 2 is when that happened, the beginning of the church. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into, notice, all, all the truth. Remember we said the Bible is the sufficient word of God. There is no truth that has any bearing or any relevance on life and spirituality and morality, anything that the Bible is concerned about in life. There is no truth that the Bible lacks. It communicates it all. Now listen, there's great benefit to scientific knowledge. I'm grateful for the advances in medical care and in nutritional science and all that kind of stuff that improves our standards of living. But I'll tell you one thing that medical science can never do. 
It can never undo human mortality. You can stretch out our mortal lives a few more days or weeks or months or years or even decades. But you're still going to die. You're still going to die if Christ doesn't come back first. And so, hey, again, I'm not dissing medical and science advances and technology and all the good stuff that it can do. I'm saying if you know what the Word of God says and you submit your life to it, I mean, you, you could die of some horrible disease at age 20 and all things are going to be well for you. And that's the truth. We don't often think on those terms today. We think that a life isn't blessed unless we reach a certain number of years. And I hope to live a long and fruitful life just like everybody in this room hopes to live a long and fruitful and productive and happy life. I hope all of those things. But brothers and sisters, science can't save you. Only Jesus can. There's no resurrection from the dead based on science. There's resurrection from the dead based on faith. It's faith in Jesus Christ. So he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak. This is Jesus speaking about the Holy Spirit. For he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, Jesus says, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Number three, the sequence of truth. The Father has given Jesus all authority. The Spirit received everything from Jesus relevant to life and godliness. And he delivered it to us all through the apostles and prophets so that the Holy Bible is the product of this perfect supernatural process. If you hold a Bible in your hand, you're holding a miracle. You're holding the product of supernatural interaction. The sequence of events went from Father to Son to Spirit to apostles and prophets to the written page to you and me. We serve Jesus because of the written word and we follow the written word because of Jesus the living word who teaches us to follow the written word because it comes from him which teaches us to look back to him as our hope of everything good life and salvation and blessing and because we trust in him we trust in his words and we obey his words and we follow his words. And as we obey his words and follow his words that are written down on the pages of the 66 books, we grow in our knowledge of him who is the living word of God so that we're brought more deeply with greater focus and greater love into the written word so that we can know the living word and serve the living word. And I hope that makes sense of the reality of our lives and spirituality that the Bible communicates. Because all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If some of those words are bigger than you're used to using, how about the New Living Translation? All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. And teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. 
Because people in America have largely left the Bible out of their lives, they've neglected it. They've come to false conclusions about it without examining it. The absence of Scripture in American culture for the past couple of generations has created the horrible moral effects that we see around us in our culture today. Without the Bible, we do not know anything about right and wrong. Nothing. It is only through the Bible that we learn anything about truth and about life and about godliness and about morality. It is only through the direction of the Bible that we can live lives that are heavenward in their direction. Only through the Bible. And this is why the apostle says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. How? Handling, rightly handling the word of truth. The New Living Translation. Work hard so that you can be someone who correctly explains the word of truth. Because there is no connection to Jesus, the living word, apart from the ministry of the written word. And so I can summarize this morning and say obeying the written word is obeying the living word. And there is no distinction. If you will not obey the written word, you will not obey the living word. And you cannot say, well, I love Jesus and the testimony of the gospel of Christ and I love the story of the sacrifice on the cross and the resurrection and all that hope, but there's a lot of other stuff in the Bible that I just can't accept. If you don't accept the other stuff, you don't accept that either because it's all the mind of Christ. And this is why Jesus said, whoever is ashamed not only of me, but of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. My beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm not the least bit ashamed to be a Bible-believing man. I believe every word from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 came from the Father through Jesus, the living word, by means of the power of the Holy Spirit, into the hearts and minds of apostles and prophets, and it was written down for you and me because God loves us. And that's what the Bible is. I'm not ashamed to believe everything that it says. And anyone that is ashamed of me for not being ashamed of Jesus and his word is the one that needs to make a change. But if you're ashamed of Jesus or of his words, you don't know shame. You do not know shame like you will know when on the last day you stand before his throne and you realize the grievous error of your ways. The Bible is the word of God because it comes from the whole being and mind and will and purpose of the living word Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And as such, it is perfect truth. Anything that the Bible teaches cannot be wrong. And anything that contradicts scripture cannot be right. And so if you love Jesus, you will keep his commandments. And the Bible is the only way that you will ever learn them. There is no such thing as a true follower of Jesus who continues to reject anything that the Bible says. In other words, brothers and sisters, the bottom line of this series is this. Jesus' people follow the Bible wholly and unapologetically. And so the lesson is yours, my brothers and sisters, and I just want to extend the invitation of the Son of God who loves you and who gave himself for you this morning. If you are a person old enough to where you understand right from wrong, 
and you know that you're accountable for your actions, and you know you've sinned against God. You need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. You need to make confession of, of the sweet name of Christ, and you need to make the decision to turn your life over to Him, and what the Bible calls repentance. You need to obey His first commandments uh, that enables you to enter into covenant relationship with Him, and that is to be baptized by His authority that your sins might be washed away. And I'm telling you, the baptistry right now is ready, and it is warm. And this morning, if you are a baptized believer that needs our prayers for whatever reason, front pews are open. Come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.